don't think I'm going to need this, so I'll get this out of the way. Here we go. In his book, Honesty, Morality, and Conscious, Jerry White tells this story. A salesman knocked on the door of a run-down and obvious poor home. The mother in the home told her little boy to tell the salesman she could not come to the door because she was in the bathtub. The little boy went to the door and said, we ain't got no bathtub, but mom told me to tell you she's in it. <laughs> this morning we were looking at courage at the crossroads. When spiritual integrity is tested. What is integrity? I found this quote from a book called The Integrity Crisis by Warren Wearsby. The book is a little dated, but the definition is not. He writes, the Oxford English Dictionary says that the word comes from the Latin integritas, which means wholeness, entireness, completeness. The root word is integer, which means untouched, intact, entire. I love this. Integrity to personal or corporate character, that's how your habits, motives, thoughts relate to your morals, is what health is to the body or 20-20 vision is to the eyes. And by the way, I forgot my reading glasses, so I boiled Franco's this morning. A person with integrity is not divided, that's duplicity, or merely pretending, that's hypocrisy. He or she is whole. Life is put together, and things are working together harmoniously. People with integrity have nothing to hide and nothing to fear. Their lives are open books. They are integers. So character is about your moral and ethical values. Example, always tell the truth. Always be honest. Don't be a hypocrite. Integrity is about how closely you adhere to, you follow your moral and ethical values. Example, the little boy went to the door and said, we ain't got no bathtub, but mom told me to tell you she's in it. Warren Wearsby continues, he says, Jesus makes it clear that integrity involves the whole of the inner person, the heart, the mind, and the will. The person with integrity has a single heart. He doesn't try to love God and the world at the same time. The person with integrity has a single mind, a single outlook, the eye that keeps life going in the right direction. After all, outlook helps to determine outcome. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Jesus also said that the person with integrity has a single will. He, searches, he seeks to serve but one master. Peter Forsyth was right when he said, the first duty of every soul is to find not its freedom, but its master. Once you find your master, Jesus Christ, you will have found your freedom. Because of the various hats that I wear in ministry and in the secular world over the past number of weeks, no coincidence, once I was assigned this topic of integrity, um, I had to make a lot of important decisions. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when you have to make a decision, there's clearly black and there's white. Um, 
I have a tendency to see a lot of gray in between, okay? And even sometimes different shades of gray, which are legal shades of gray, but sometimes there is no gray and it's just black and white. And it, it gets really, really hard when you have to make a decision when, you, when you're unable to control the outcome, but you know that the inputs that you're putting into it are not gonna be very good. Why do I share this? Well, it's because I, I decided to go with, listen, um, I'm gonna look at this particular situation through the will of God's eyes between me and the circumstance, and I'm gonna trust him entirely with the outcome. And God has been faithful, and he is faithful, and I know he'll continue to be faithful, but those decisions are not always easy to make. I went on the uh, internet this morning and I just pulled out some practical examples of integrity. Keep your promises. Uh, go back to the store and pay for something that you forgot to pay. Uh, never betray a friend's trust. Um, inform the cashier that you, uh, she paid you or he paid you a little bit too much. Do not gossip. Uh, remain true to your spouse. Uh, when in a serious relationship, don't keep secrets. Ignore someone's advice on how to cheat on your taxes and not get caught. For those of you in sales, you ever have to submit a sales report? How easy it is to maybe increase the number of miles you did not drive. Um, do not let someone else take blame for something you did. If you have confidential information, don't share it. And the list goes on and on and on. But if you're not a Christian, you can choose whatever standard is acceptable at the time. Question is, are you willing to compromise your integrity because it's not popular with your friends at school or your coworkers on the job or your family at home? So I went and I looked at, what does the Bible say about integrity? And I found two, a couple of verses, and I'll just read them to you quickly. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 9. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but whoever takes crooked paths will be found out. Parents, we have a dedication, October 31st. This one's for all of us. Proverbs 20, verse 7, the godly walk with integrity. Blessed are the children who follow them. And then one that I thought tied with where we're going this morning, it's in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 16. But in your heart sanctify Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give a defense to everyone who asks for the reason for a hope that is in you. But respond with gentleness and respect keeping a clear conscience so that those who slander you may be put to shame by your good behavior in Christ. I'm going to read that last verse again. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who slander you may be put to shame by your good behavior in Christ. And so this is a message on, uh, even though the world, uh, you will have tribulation, but take courage, for I am greater than the world. Um, this message on integrity is for all of us, but I, I really want to speak to those who are in, in positions of leadership this morning. Now, we are all in some form of leadership, but I'm really talking about leadership as it pertains to ministry, as it pertains to the church, as it pertains to God's work. So, I, I don't want to just talk about integrity. Right? Those are the definitions, and we found some great quotes. But I want us to look at how can we collectively, individually, corporately be encouraged to be men and women of integrity. And so if you have a Bible, open it up because we are going to, we're going to be running through this. And I hope, I, I hope you'll be patient with me as I, as I try to do something a little bit different this morning. Not too different, but a little bit. 
So please turn with me in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Because I want to provide some background to this letter so that we have a better understanding of what's going on so that we know how to respond to it. So essentially, in this book, 2 Corinthians, false leaders, false teachers are attacking Paul's integrity. And so that, I, I want to point this out to us very quickly. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 4, it reads, For if someone comes and proclaims to Jesus other than the one we, procla we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit than the one you received, or a different gospel than the one you accepted, you put up with it way too easily. So he's already concerned that there are some people who are infiltrating the ranks. Chapter 12, verse 11. He writes, I have become a fool, but you drove me to it. In fact, you should have commanded, commended me, since I am in no way inferior to those super apostles, even though I am nothing. Paul lived what he believed. He preached what he believed. He taught what he believed. And what he believed and what he taught and what he preached was based on what was revealed by God and it was rooted in the word of God. And since these false teachers could not attack Paul's theology, he was just way too strong, way too smart, way too intellectual, way too rooted in the word of God, what are they going to do? If you can discredit a leader's integrity... If, you can, if they could convince the people that Paul's life was one which wasn't credible, that it was corruptible, that he was in some way a hypocrite, then they would be able to infiltrate the church, that they would be able to take it over with their false teachings. And so, in a sense, I believe from what I've been reading, 2 Corinthians, in many ways, it's, it's a letter written by Paul in his defense of his integrity. So turn with me, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to go right to the beginning, at verse 12. And we're going to see what he writes. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12. And this is our boast. Our conscious, I love this, our conscious. And by the way, the plural word, our, our, that he uses throughout most of this book, he's really referring to himself, me, I, Paul. Our conscience, my conscience, testifies that we have conducted ourselves, I love the conducted, the way we've conducted ourselves in, in the world, and especially in relation to you, in the holiness and sincerity that are from God, not in worldly wisdom, but in the grace of God. He, he begins with this, this fact check, this check, this fact check finder, if you want, you know? What he's saying is, I know about my conduct. Acts chapter 18, I know how, what, how I was when I lived with you for those 18 months. Okay, God knows my heart. God knows my conscience. When I go to bed at night, my conscience is fine. I sleep well at night. You should know that because my, the way I, I lived when I was with you should be a testimony. Chapter 2, verse 17. For we are not like so many others who peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ we speak before God with sincerity, as men sent from God. He's speaking about his motive. He, he, he wasn't here to steal from the treasury. He, he didn't have any illicit gain where he was trying to gain financially at, at the expense of these people. 
Paul realizes that everything he said could be twisted by the false teachers. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Are we, are we bragging about ourselves? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You see, because there were false imposters in the church, some, some of them needed letters of recommendation when they'd come to a church. They needed letters of recommendation to be able to sift out the good from the bad. But even, even these letters could be falsified. And he's saying, you don't, you don't even need a letter of recommendation because you know everything about me. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. We're getting there. We're building up. Be patient. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since God in his mercy has given us this ministry, I love that. It's not our ministry. It's his ministry that we have a privilege to be a part of. We do not lose heart. Instead, we have renounced or rejected secret and shameful ways. Again, he's talking about his life. He says, we do not practice deceit. That means accepting as true that which is false. Or nor do we distort the word of God, which is the, the, the doctrine which powers life. No, on the contrary, by open proclamation of the truth, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Listen, the false teachers, they're trying to undermine the people's trust and confidence in Paul's integrity and his character. And they're doing that by attacking his leadership, by attacking his integrity. If they can turn on Paul, they get access to the church. They get access to the people. And it would be a different message. See, they were self-serving. He was a servant of Christ. Which finally brings us to our passage this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 through 15. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us, so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than in what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God, if we are if we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. The, the one thing that particularly strikes me is verse 11, where Paul writes, we try to persuade others. As I mentioned earlier, Paul's life was all about teaching and, and preaching and living the word of God. And, and, and his message, even as we heard this morning during the breaking of bread, is that we are sinners in, in need of a savior. Uh, even in, in verse 21 of the same chapter, he writes, God made him who had no sin to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. But what Paul is saying is he's saying, listen, you need to live a life of transformation. You need to come to the point where you recognize that you're sinful and you need a savior. And you need to understand that through the Holy Spirit living in us, it's the power to help us transform, right? To uh, no more presence or power or uh, penalty of sin in our life. But 
If Paul's life was one such that when you looked at it, it, there was no transformation in his life, then why would you want to follow him? When he says, be an imitator like me, or I strive to be more and more like Christ. No, his life was under the magnifying glass. There was a, I read an article, uh, Integrity in Christian Leadership by Matthew Capps. And he tells the, the story of a CEO who uh, would meet with candidates at a restaurant intentionally in the morning. And the CEO would get there really, really early before, before the, the, the candidate. And he'd speak with the waiter and he'd speak with the chef. And, and he'd, he'd ask them to intentionally mess up the person he was interviewing's order. Mess it up completely. And, and, and the reason is because you can be, yes, you can be educated. But it's about your character and it's about your integrity in terms of how you respond to these things. It's a look inside the heart. And in the same article, Matthew, he, he, he talks about, he says here, in the church there have been reports of sexual misconduct, abuse of power, discriminatory comments among the leaders. Sex, money, and power are the areas where most of the ethical and moral failures surface occur. And if you think about it, this affects our ministry, our families, our children, our testimony. I mean, how can you be an impact to others when there's moral compromise in the ranks? And the, the one line that, I, I, if, you're if you're into taking notes, this is the one that just blew me away. While salvation is surrender, sanctification is war. It was my wife, uh, I don't know where she is right now, I can't see with these glasses. <laughs> she, 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 she was telling me, Stephen, integrity, you got to fight for it. you got to want it. you got to leave it all on the line. And she was really, as we were talking about this out loud, it's not something that comes easy. If it is, everybody would be doing it. But it begins in our, in our private lives. I found another article called How to Ruin Your Life by Eric Geiger. He was talking about how do you destroy a building. He said, well, there's, there's two ways you can destroy it. Uh, you can take a, a wrecking ball from the outside, which everybody sees swinging back and forth, and just take it out wall by wall. Or you can, you can go inside with, with explosives that are strategically placed in different places, and you just you blow it up. That, that takes everyone by surprise. The, the conclusion is the second one's a lot more dangerous because nobody sees it's coming. And what he's really saying is, you got to destroy the sin within us. You got to run from it. You got to destroy it. You got to kill it. You got to uproot it. Okay, so that's the context. Paul, a man of integrity, he's being attacked because his character and integrity is being attacked by false leaders, and he's trying to persuade others by the conduct of his own life. All right, we know that he's a man of, of integrity. We know what integrity is. Um, Balaji was at, uh, at my home this week. We were having lunch. We were talking about integrity and you know, all these fancy definitions. And he, he, brilliant, man. He just says, Stephen, integrity is what you do when nobody else is looking. I thought, you got it. That's exactly what it is. So the question I have now for us in, in the next 10 minutes is, Okay, what encouraged Paul to be a man of integrity? And I came up with four C words, because I thought it went well with the word courage. 
The first one is that there was a centered appreciation for the Lord. And we see this in verse 11 of what we just read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. Paul is not saying that he was afraid of the Lord. He did not fear the Lord. He did not feel threatened. Uh, he was not scared. What is he speaking about? He is speaking about a reverence associated with adoration and worship. It's about his mindset. He lived a life of worship. What's equally interesting is in this verse, since then we know what it is to fear the word, uh, the, what it is to fear the Lord. The word know in that verse can be translated appreciated. Paul appreciated the worship and adoration of the Lord. And because he regards God in such a high esteem, he wants his life to be such that it reflects one of integrity so that God gets all the glory. He does not want his life to be an impediment to these things. It's hard to be a sincere worshiper and yet to be sinning at the same time. Uh, Doug, Doug Virgent, uh, years ago, uh, introduced me to his cousin who was here, who was into social work, and I met him in Fredericton, New Brunswick, and we went for breakfast, and to this day, I still remembered what he said. He said, when you're playing Christian music throughout the day, it's really, really hard to want to go out into sin. Christian music is, is one way that we can appreciate the worship and adoration of the Lord. And we know in the book of Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Better is uh, life with fear of the Lord than great, term, than great treasure with turmoil. Those are in Proverbs 9 and Proverbs 15. So, one, a centered appreciation for the Lord. Two, what encouraged Paul to be a man of integrity? Concern for the church. Verse 12, we are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are living but are giving you, an giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than in what is in the heart. Paul is saying, I'm, I'm not trying to find favor in your eyes. Uh, you know everything that there is to know about me. Uh, my life is an open book. There, there's, there's no skeletons. There's no closet doors. I remember years ago, David George was speaking here. Nancy just went, yes. And uh, he, he had spent the weekend at our, at our home and he gets up here and he, he goes, you know, I was at McCarg's place and we slept over and they have no closet, they have no closet doors. <laughs> and, and he said, you know, you look in and, and it's all there. And, and that's the illustration that he used, right? We, we can have closet doors. Okay, what's another practical example of that? Okay, I give you full access to my computer. You get all my passwords and you get all my history and there, there's nothing done in private. He's saying, remember how I lived when I was with you for those 18 months. Listen, there's little that I can do to defend, but what I need right now for the sake of the church, because my concern for the church is so great, I need you. I need you to take a position. I need you to stand up. I need you to support. I need you to tell these false teachers that, no, 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 you know about my life. You know about my leadership, that it was one about integrity. And how I conducted myself was always for the greater good of God. If you do this, then the church will be protected. Paul had such a great concern for the church. 
that he was encouraged to be a man of integrity. So we, we have a concern for the church. Look on your left, look on the right. You care about those people. The church is the people. We are the church. We have a great concern for one another. So we should all be men and women of integrity. Three, what encouraged Paul to be a man of integrity? I hope I don't offend anyone, but I thought the, the C word was good here. Crazy for the truth. Crazy for the truth. Look what he, he writes in verse 13. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. I mean, if we are out of our mind, the verb actually means and is translated to be insane or mad. It implies that some people are accusing Paul of being crazy. I mean, if you read, and I hope you do, go home and read 2 Corinthians in its entirety, 13 chapters, you'll notice that Paul uses the word foolishness over and over and over again. I mean, he should feel honored to be considered out of his mind. I mean, isn't that what they accused Jesus of in Mark chapter 4? They said that Jesus' family said that he was out of his mind. I mean, Paul had to be out of his mind. I mean, why else would he boast of his sufferings? In 2 Corinthians 11, he says, Speaking as a fool, I'm a Hebrew, I'm an Israelite, descendant of Abraham. Am I speaking like I am out of my mind? But I am so much more in harder labor and more imprisonments and worse beatings and frequent danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night at day and sea in the open. In my frequent journeys, I have been in danger from rivers and from bandits. It goes on and on and on. Who is weak? Am I not weak? Who is led into sin? And I do not burn with grief. Ah. <sighs> I must boast. I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is forever worthy of praise, knows that I am not lying. I'll read that again. Verse 31. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who is forever worthy of praise, know that I am not lying. He was not a fool. He wasn't insane. He was not out of his mind. He was just crazy about the word of God. He was passionate. He was full of zeal. He was willing to leave it all on the line. But you know, at the same time, that same verse, it tells us, you know what? He was still able to go with us to Starbucks and to have a normal conversation with us over coffee. It's just he was really passionate about the gospel. And at times, it just really came through. You know, I, I, I began this morning's uh, message talking about how this was for, for leadership, integrity for leadership, and... Um, I want you to be encouraged to know that a good number of men at this church, elders and leadership practicum, have been getting together and doing a bit of a study, a devotional on biblical eldership, an urgent call to restore biblical church leadership. Uh, we're taking this quite seriously. And I just want to read something that, it's a quote from that book that we're going through. I wrote here, the author quotes an article claiming that a recent study of divorce rates in the United States show that pastors had the third highest divorce rate exceeded only by that of medical doctors and policemen. If that doesn't make you uncomfortable, I don't know what will. 
The author continues, what is outstanding about this article is that not one of the seven leaders that they interviewed even mentioned the biblical qualifications for leadership outlined in 1 Timothy or Titus. This article reveals a widespread ignorance within the Christian community concerning Scripture's vigorous insistence on God's qualification for vocal church leaders. It also demonstrates that churches and denominations have substituted their own standards for the biblical ones. I'm not here to be critical of the church. That is not my goal, and I'm not speaking in any way of RBC. What I am saying is, as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, we too should be crazy for the gospel. We too should know what's written in it so that we can defend and that this would indeed be our standard. And then lastly, and I'm going to finish with this point, what encouraged Paul to be a man of integrity? Verse 14. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. He was compelled by Christ's love for him. One of the worst sinners, the most horrific past. Completely forgiven. And he never forgot that. Christ's love is shown in his death for us. And because of that, what does Paul write? That those who live should no longer live for themselves. Time for some self-examination. But for him who died for them and was raised again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is our prayer that you would help us to be men and women of integrity. No more bathtubs. No more lying about bathtubs. No more division of mind, will, heart. Pray that your word would shine light in those areas where there is darkness. That you would help us overcome because you've already overcome the world. Help us to have the 
same courage as we read about Paul, especially as leaders, Father. We pray that you would protect all of our families, our children, this church, and our ministry. And help us to be encouraged and courageous because of a centered appreciation for your word. Because of a concern for the church. Because we're crazy for the word of God. And because your love compels us. Help us to be courageous.